fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 109 in our series You Should Have Been There with me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Today, uh, as promised, we're discussing journeys with a mission. A special mission, that is, not just travel. From following your football team to slightly obsessive quests of your own devising. Got um, with a package deal, basically, being a fan club. Do you want to give us a prediction? Ooh, 2-1 England. Uh, 2-0 England. Um, there's a very solid stone here. Um, it's, uh, if you can imagine, a pizza. Germany occupies half the pizza. Um, then there's one third pointing at the Netherlands. And, would you believe, two thirds pointing at uh, Belgium. That was me testing the limits of my very own construct, the Corona Curtain. Well, I'm uh, suitably intrigued and will ask you to um, uh, expand on that in a minute. But uh, first, uh, responses to last week's report from the Baltic Republics uh, and particularly the uh, gains rather than the losses made in translation um, during your guided tour of an Estonian museum, Simon. Dave B, who lives in Bologna and describes himself as an Englishman happy travelling the world with a few beers and books, picks up on the idea of uh, benefits to be gained by dodgy translations. He sends a photo of a Colombian menu that promises Lomo fino a lo pobre, which is translated as Lomo fine to the poor. (laughs) And he says, as a broke backpacker in Colombia once upon a time, I can confirm that the Lomo was indeed fine to the poor, which is very good because uh, Lomo indeed is a very fine dish. Um, As I remember, it's uh, a uh, chunk of uh, beef with a fried egg or even two fried eggs on top, served often with uh, chips and rice. And why would it be fine to the poor or fino a la pobre? I think lomo fino is actually a finely cut steak, so it's a fairly thin uh, steak, and alo pobre is just um, a basic method of cooking it. I, I look forward to trying it next time I'm in Medellin. And uh, just while we're here, Mick, last week I I speculated on why our loyal listener Rebecca would have stayed on the mainland side of the uh, of Greece rather than taking the short boat trip across to Thassos. And I think she sent you some news on that. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, she sent us a message uh, at uh, anchor.fm. Um, saying you ask for stories about holidays with a mission. The trip I recently mentioned, that's the one uh, you were talking about, where I stayed on a mosquito-infested beach in Keramoti, Greece, was actually a working holiday organised by the British Trust for Conservation Volunteers. We were involved in redecorating a nearby nature museum. I also helped to build a picnic bench in a nearby forest and worked in a paddy field. And Rebecca also says that um, it was a great and cheap way of travelling and meeting new people, along with a feeling of accomplishment and leaving an area better than you found it, which is a very um, good thought, isn't it, when you're travelling? It is. I look forward to finding that bench and enjoying a picnic on it one day. 
Meanwhile, we heard last week from Linda WS, who wasn't impressed, you might remember, with our drug habits, or at least our interpretation for the previous podcast, uh, Good Trips, Bad Trips. Um, and But this week, uh, she reports from Mexico, happily flew to Mexico City on Sunday. Get this, from plane landing, clearing immigration taxi to the fab red treehouse in Condesa, one hour. Take that, Heathrow. Note carry on only and she signs off learning to travel again as we all are i'm norman smith and i'm on my way to alicante for a nice week in benidorm um how recently have you traveled um this is our first journey now for two years you know we normally fairly seasoned travelers so three or four journeys a year this is the first one for two just over two years now Well, that chap who I met recently at Luton Airport, I reckon typifies many of us um, taking a holiday which has many components of travel joy from a beach washed by warm water, maybe a little light sightseeing to meals out under the stars. But perhaps people who make journeys with a particular mission have a richer experience. And that's what we're discussing today. And One reason for our timing is because next month Eurovision fans start converging on Turin, Uh, not for the shroud nor the architecture, but of course for the music. Has the Eurovision circuit ever appealed to you, Nick? No, not really. But I suppose if you actually enjoy the the music and all the fun that goes with it, uh, it's actually a rather nice way of uh, booking in some interesting European cities. Uh, And Turin, of course, apart from the shroud and the uh, and the fantastic architecture and the lovely trams um is well worth going to certainly is i think uh, not so much perhaps the music more the fun that goes with it is what appeals to the uh, people i know who have already booked their tickets um for turin and we wish them a very very enjoyable eurovision experience and I suppose we should also wish for a few points for uh, our UK entry. Um, <laughs> ever since we floated the uh, the great idea of uh, uh, travel yeah. with a kind of yeah. extra element or a special mission, I wondered really whether any of the journeys we've done would count. Um, and I suppose... <laughs> uh, our trips, which we have banged on about before, looking for Vilcabamba, the last city of the Incas, uh, and indeed bridging the Darien Gap, the great uh, watery jungle which separates uh, Colombia and Panama, would kind of count. They're kind of expeditions in a way, and we were definitely trying to do something. Um, One was obviously find the city, and the other one was to um, uh, arrive unscathed in Panama, which we did manage to do just about. Um, I'm going to discount, though, the GR10, the Great Trans-Pyrenean Walking Trek, which we've been doing uh, on and off for years and still haven't quite completed, because you are actually just following a path. I think it's much more interesting if your itinerary is um, is less set in stone, as it were. Yes, I'm not going to count my impending trip to Oslo in Norway, where I am going specifically to check out the new National Museum, um, partly because... I'm most definitely going to be enjoying everything that uh, goes with the Norwegian capital. And this is really just an excuse, unlike sporting tourism. 
Um, you must have booked this train quite a long time ahead because I've been checking and it's been full up for, yeah. I think, months. Yeah, we've got um, with a package deal, basically, the England Fan Club. So, uh, when was it? We booked back in January, I think. It was It was all booked. So, yeah, six, almost six months ago. Yeah. And you got tickets then for tonight? Oh, yeah, got tickets for the game, yeah, definitely. Do you want to give us a prediction? Ooh, 2-1 England. 2-0 uh, England. Are you at all worried about anything from the risk of terrorism to the... Uh, possibility of trouble we saw some overnight with the uh, French riot police and England fans in Marseille. Yeah, not so worried about the terrorism, saw the tear gassing. Yeah, so a bit looking forward to avoiding that if we can, but that's about it. Yeah, I think as long as we remain sort of sensible and, and don't um, put ourselves in any situations, I think I think we'll be fine. Um, I'd like to think so anyway. <laughs> Are you there for the duration or just for the match tonight? A uh, long weekend basically, we're back on Monday. That's Tim Neal and Gary Napper, who I met as they were setting off for Marseille in 2016, which seems like another age, for the Euros match between England and Russia, which uh, you might recall ended 1-1 in the end. Mick, you're a Crystal Palace supporter, the great South London football team. How far have you gone? Well, I should say that I am, of course, on tenterhooks for today. This is Sunday, the 17th um, semi-final match against the, um, I've got to say, the disgraced billionaires of Chelsea, but um, I'm not <laughs> going to say that. Uh, I suppose the furthest I've been for the cause, or at least it's felt the furthest, was um, Rochdale, uh, which was an interesting um, day trip. And, oh, and Swansea, actually. Swansea away had the excitement of actually going into another country, which um, I did uh, enjoy uh, a lot. And football trips are quite good in that you usually um, arrive at a station and then have to find your way through some sort of sometimes not particularly salubrious uh, suburbs past petrol stations and uh, supermarkets and DIY emporia of various kinds until you find yourself somewhere near the uh, the ring road on the edge of town and, and there will be your destination. So you, you do get a kind of sense of the place. Oh, certainly. I, I mean, I am not nearly so much a football supporter as you are, but in 1989, I organised a party of Crawley Town supporters going to Tyrone Rana in Albania ah. for an England World Cup qualifying match, which was a, a wonderful cultural experience at a time when, uh, well, this was before the collapse of the Iron Curtain and uh, Albania was still very much in the iron grip of Enver Hoxha, but a, a lovely trip, as was just back in 2018. I went to Kaliningrad in Russia just to watch the Croatia-Nigeria match. Neither team uh, have I particularly ever followed, but the event was absolutely worth the uh, journey. Well, as I know you, and indeed I know your profession as well, reasonably well, you will, of course, have given yourself um, enough time to dash around all of the uh, the top tourist sites of those um, those splendid places while leaving yourself a little bit of time for a few but not too many beers. Uh, exactly right. The top attraction is a a, a marvellous mural of um, Yuri Gagarin, the <laughs> great uh, space pioneer. That's in Kaliningrad, is it? In Kaliningrad, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you and anybody else who's listening into the secret of what I think is the almost perfect um, uh, trip with a 
bizarre mission. Uh, I did mention it last week, and um, I have um, done a little bit more work on it, as they say, <laughs> which is, and uh, here I am searching through my papers uh, to find the splendid publication um, from uh, the tourist uh, authorities of Le Tarn, uh, the department in France, which is which is centred on the lovely and relatively little visited city of Albi, northeast of Toulouse and north of Carcassonne. And the particular attraction here uh, are the dovecots, uh, which you can find in the region. And here my brochure has a uh, La Route des Pigeonniers du Tarn, which is indeed the route of the dovecots of the Tarn. And it has 20 pictures of the dovecots which you can visit and which give you an absolutely fantastic um, reason or excuse for, I reckon, possibly cycling around the area. Maybe to do them all, you'd actually uh, need to go in a car, but some of them are absolutely spectacular. There's one here which is in the the wine town of Gaillac, which is a very fine mm-hmm. source of not particularly expensive red wines, but uh, some of them as nice as Bordeaux, uh, I'm reliably informed. Uh, and this dovecot is about four stories high, <laughs> um, and and indeed, uh, you know, looks like something that you and I would be uh, only too pleased to uh, <laughs> to call a home. And um, <laughs> anyway, these twenty things are actually scattered all around the area, as I said. And my favourite, though, is at a place called Puech Oriol, which is near a an interesting town called Castres. Um, and this fine, elegant octagonal tower with a slate roof topped by a cross is built above a well and houses the mechanism for raising water. I mean, we do have a touch of gained in translation here. Yes. Um, uh, the, the principal facade has a door and a window with a pointed arch bearing the date 1852. A plaque with three exit holes and a half moon ledge below <laughs> are entirely in sandstone. Um, these things are great. They're all sorts of different shapes. Some of them are half timbered. Some of them are in brick, some in stone, some are round, some are square, some are raised up on pillars. And they really do look as though they have been built with a great deal of love for the pigeon uh, and um, anything else that wants to live there. Have you had any what we might call madder um experiences like that i certainly have and they have ended up um investing many many thousands of pounds in some cases for just a few minutes of bliss this is mick eclipse tourism and i first went in uh, 1995 to india uh, to a place called Fatapur Sikri, where the great Indian eclipse of that year was dramatically on show. And eclipse tourism is absolutely a cult. On the same trip, um, the, 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 they even had Brian May, the guitarist from Queen, uh, on board oh, yes, because he yeah. is a great uh, astronomer. And people were just open jawed. And of course, it was just one part of a kind of two week trip around some of the highlights of that wonderful country. But everybody is set up to watch just a couple of minutes of totality. Uh, I did the sa- tried the same thing in uh, 1999. You might remember the great Cornish eclipse, which was a bit of a wet blanket. I tried instead going across to Dieppe 
in Normandy uh, for the experience there. It was cloudy, but we had a lovely day. And most recently, I went to Wyoming in 2017 for the eclipse there, where the Eclipse Tourism Organization, and there are such things, um, had built a special camp, rather like a kind of festival in a park, surrounded by mountains. They'd done all the research to check that this would be the place where you have the highest chance of clear skies. And so it proved absolutely glorious, but all over too quickly. And by the way, Mick, if you want to try this out, the height of the European holiday season, uh, 2026, 12th of August, there is going to be a a, a wonderful total eclipse, which is going starting in the Arctic, uh, going over Iceland, but then crucially right across the northern half of Spain, Bilbao, Zaragoza and Valencia, and then also to uh, Palma in Mallorca. Book now. Well, thanks, Simon, for the heads up. <laughs> Though I am actually happier um, concentrating on things happening at ground level. And uh, with that in mind, I would thoroughly recommend the uh, grounded solar system in Zagreb, which which gives you a very good excuse, a reason for visiting all kinds of areas of this, um, this really interesting city um, in search of the planets of the solar system. So the grounded solar system um, is an art installation, really, or a sculptural installation. And the grounded sun, as it's called, is uh, situated in the centre of Zagreb. It's a great big bronze sphere and um, uh, very hard to miss, though the nine planets take a bit more work to find because the stainless steel representations of the planets are scaled in relation to each other and to the sun and also um, matching their relative distance from the sun uh, in the real solar system. Uh, So that means that um, uh, having uh, seen the sun in um, which, as I said, was hard to miss in Bogovicheva Ulica 1B in a kind of um, a nice um, (laughs) pedestrianised shopping precinct with lots of uh, cafes and stuff. Uh, You then have to travel quite a long way out to find, uh, well, Pluto, which I went to see um, uh, about um, seven and a half kilometres away, uh, uh, right on the very, very edge of the city (laughs) under an underpass. And it's actually been stolen. Uh, So I wasn't able to see it. However, I did find (laughs) Neptune, which is the next one in. um, And uh, that was about an hour and a half's Mm. walk from the sun. Um, and uh, yeah, it just just took me through maybe not the most exciting um, suburbs, but they really give you an idea of um, what the city is actually like. And uh, and Kazari is a reasonably uh, leafy street of, of uh, uh, small um, uh, houses, actually, which is unusual in a city where where most people live in flats. Um, and uh, I found uh, on a lamppost outside number 17, uh, actually, I think it was a telegraph pole, um, about <laughs> sort of five foot up from the ground, um, a small silver sphere um, which said it was Neptune. <laughs> what a joy. Um, if people want to have a slightly more organised solar system experience, let me direct you to the fine Melbourne suburb of St Kilda, where they have basically the same idea. 
co-sponsored appropriately by Lonely Planet, um, based in Melbourne. That was where Tony and Maureen Wheeler started the organisation. And they are arrayed along the seashore, which makes uh, discovering them that much easier. You're not crawling around underpasses and going into strange roads. Um, uh, uh, and they're all relatively accessible, except, of course, Pluto and um Please don't write in. We know that it is a dwarf planet um, that that uh, uh, is, is disputably a, a planet or not. Ah, it was probably stolen by a by by a, uh, an astronomer. It might well have been who who was across with it being included, um, yeah. and and even the one in um, I didn't check out in uh, Victoria whether it was existing because this is the one which is I think about. Uh, they're, they're all re- reasonably easily walkable, um, but Pluto is uh, kind of in a different suburb, if not in an entirely different uh, different city, but well worth doing. And it is said, and I've seen a couple of bits of evidence of this, that they've got a similar idea going on in York. But yes, if it takes you to interesting corners of a city, I think it is strongly to be recommended. Okay, well, a very quick one then on a, a similar sort of theme, and, and that is if you can find a town or city where an artist has spent a lot of time, um, it can be very rewarding to um, go in their footsteps. So I would highly recommend the uh, Cezanne mm. Trail in um, Aix-en-Provence, which takes you really um, throughout this absolutely charming uh, little city finishing up on its uh, its northern edge it's a bit of a walk a sort of kilometer out of out of town where Cezanne had his his studio uh, a beautiful studio surrounded by woodland and flooded by pure light which from the window in the northern wall which of course was the light that painters wanted and uh, and there's an absolutely huge uh, slot like a vertical letterbox through which Cezanne dragged his enormous canvases as he went out to paint directly from nature and the place he went to most often is a further 500 metres up the hill um, past the Cezanne the Paul Cezanne retirement home um, is, is a vantage point from which day after day Cezanne observed and painted the ever-changing colours of Mont Saint-Victoire, which uh, rises starkly in the middle distance. Absolutely amazing. There are a few panels there showing reproductions of his different takes on the mountain, which he painted more than 80 times. Now, that's devotion to the cause, isn't it? It certainly is. In the same part of the world, of course, Vincent van Gogh was very fond of the south of France, and in particular, the lovely city of Arles has a van gogh trail um here in the uk we're not quite so good at cultural tourism i don't think i mean clearly liverpool is still absolutely living the beatles dream um so more than 50 years on from the uh, final album by the fab four they are still drawing people in um unlike recently i'm afraid stratford on avon which is a Anybody who's been there will know it's a fairly unremarkable Midlands market town with a huge uh, Shakespeare franchise, but hasn't done very well under COVID, I'm afraid. Mary Arden's Farm, um, that's where Shakespeare's mother lived, um, in 2020 got only 597 visitors all year. Uh, That's uh, less than two a day, down 99%. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm sure, I'm sure Mary Arden will recover. Uh, I have to ask you um, before we sign off for today: what exactly was your Corona Curtain tour, which we had a mention of at the uh, beginning of the podcast? This was a COVID era trip that I made, Mick, at the time when, thanks to the bizarre travel restrictions that were in force imposed by the UK, um, there were a number of countries on, effectively, the must-quarantine list. And Germany, for months, remained above them all. And so I started off in uh, the, the, the far southwest of Germany uh, on a tram which went into uh, Basel, but if you hopped off, if you stood at the back of the tram and jumped off at the border stop, you would be all right. You'd still be in Germany. Um, the further north, uh, the uh, bridge across uh, the the Rhine uh, between a, a town called Kale and the city of Strasbourg, you could walk halfway across, but no further. And then finally, the the pinnacle was just outside the fine city of Aachen, this beautiful mountain, Valseberg, which is where the Netherlands, Belgium and uh, Germany all meet. And I had to stay studiously on the German side. Right, this is just so strange. I am here across on the safe side of a metal strip that's running right along the side of a pathway. You might have heard a uh, coach and horses going past. That's one of the tourist attractions here. Um, there's a very solid stone here, um, which has got Germany on my side. And then it's, uh, if you can imagine a pizza, um, the other half, uh, Germany occupies half the pizza. Um, then there's one third pointing at the Netherlands and would you believe two-thirds pointing at uh, Belgium. Um, my phone has been into Dutch territory because somebody very kindly took it to get a picture of me against the flags, but I have not. Um, there's all kinds of tempting things here. There's, for example, a uh, ice cream parlour over there. There's a beer uh, advertisement, uh, brand beer, um, and a tower that you can climb, except I can't because it's on the Dutch side by about 10 metres. Um, we've got lots of people taking their pictures here, very, very uh, uh, elegant. Um, it's a lovely summer's day, many cyclists who are here as well. Um, but here I am at Dreilanden Punt, uh, the point where these three countries meet. And it's just one long queue of people having their pictures taken. Uh, very jolly. Everybody enjoying the sunshine. Me possibly less than most because I haven't heard any other English accents um, or Irish or Welsh or uh, Scots. So therefore, I think I'm the only one who has to stay here. Um, although, as I say, my phone has been, well, I think it actually, yes, it's been to both Belgium and to Holland. How exciting for it. Hooray. <laughs> uh, that was very enterprising of you, Simon, as, as, as ever. And I suppose that makes you a bit of a pioneer of what will become um, um, post-coronavirus travel. Well, my next stop is 48 hours in the Chinese city of Wuhan, but not quite yet. Well, we'd be delighted to uh, hear about your personal quests, your um, idiosyncratic tours uh, and missions. Just tweet us at you should have BT or leave us an audio message at anchor.fm slash you should have been there, all one word. 
Next week, we're going to be talking about what I guess is its own form of specialist tourism going underground, whether that's exploring caves or indeed exploring tubes in the sense of underground railway networks around the world. So do join us then. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>